You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about Citizens, please visit citizensbhm.com. Well, over the past uh, several weeks, we've been going through a special Advent series that we've titled Jesus Through the Eyes of Mary. And I just want to express real quick a, a, a quick thankfulness to our artists who have made these beautiful portraits and pieces of art. Um, and thank you for not only taking the time to do that, but also to walk us through just your creative process as you contemplate on what it would have been like for Mary to experience Jesus as a mother. And so why don't we express thankfulness for them as well this morning. These pieces of art are beautiful and we are so privileged to have our artists. So thank you. In previous weeks, we've been exploring these themes of hope, love, joy. And today we get to talk about peace and these themes that the church has historically meditated upon during the season of Advent are here to remind us of the arrival of Jesus. And simply put, that's what Advent is about. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus as a baby over 2,000 years ago to be born in a town called Bethlehem. And by celebrating Advent, we're not only celebrating his arrival, but the arrival that is to come. Amen? And I just want to encourage you this morning, especially as we get closer to the end of Christmas in this busy season, to not let this time pass and miss the opportunity to just ponder upon the beauty of your Savior and what this Christmas season is all about. The significance that Christmas has for our eternal life. And last week, Justin did an awesome job walking us through uh, this theme of joy. And we were reminded that Jesus is the only one that can give us true joy. And today we talk about peace. And when talking about peace, it can often feel like this thing that's impossible to attain, especially as we see the world around us and when our daily experience tells us something totally different. When I was a kid, our family often went to the beach on Saturdays. It's what you do when you go live close to the ocean. You just roll up to the beach on Saturday. And one Saturday, my parents decided us to take us. And we're at the beach having a good time, drinking Capri Suns. And all of a sudden, my sister starts collecting shells. She loved taking them home. She had this little bag where she put the shells in. And she gets a shell while we're all kind of in the beach. And she tells my mom, hey, mom, can I go put my shell in my bag? And my mom says, yes, just go put it and come right back. And my sister goes and starts looking for her bag and she keeps walking and walking and walking. And all of a sudden, my mom asks my dad, hey, where's Sarah? And you can imagine for a second my dad's heart uh, dropping as he realizes that Sarah is missing. And I'm not going to try again, Siri. But you can imagine this time of just panic while we're in the middle of Miami Beach. There's a seven-year-old girl that's missing in a beach that's full with thousands and thousands of people. And you can imagine just how 
unsettling and how unpeaceful that would have been for my parents as they frantically tried to look for my sister. And thankfully, they found her about a mile down the beach by someone found her and she came back to us and she's crying. My mom's crying. My dad's crying. Everyone's hugging. And my mom's like, why'd you keep walking, you know? And she's like, I don't know. I was just trying to find my bag. And this whole thing goes on. And you can just imagine the the panic in the middle of this moment. Now that's a seven-year-old girl lost in Miami Beach. But at today's passage, Jesus actually gets lost. And you can imagine for Mary and Joseph what this moment would have been like as they realize what, that Jesus is missing. But what we'll see today is that Jesus' response as he's reunited with his parents is quite different. See, Jesus is at peace even when others think he's lost. Because he knows he's exactly where he's supposed to be. Jesus not only understands who he is, but he understands his purpose. And what we'll see today is that we can experience peace because of Jesus' perfect obedience. So the story takes us to Jerusalem. See, every, every year the Jewish people would go up to Jerusalem to the festival of the Passover, which was a festival in which they'd commemorate the slavery of Israelites in Egypt and their ultimate exodus to freedom. And up until this point, this journey would have been very familiar for Jesus' family as they would go up to the temple and participate in the rituals and celebrate this moment together. And the way they traveled back in the day wasn't on charter buses to camp or something like that. But instead, they gathered their stuff. All the towns that were near would gather together and they would travel as a people up to Jerusalem. And the women would typically travel in the front. The men would travel in the butt, in the back to kind of protect uh from other people who would try to harm them on the road. And it was a long journey there. They would camp out. In the middle of the night until they got to Jerusalem. And the text tells us that they went up to Jerusalem, they do the whole thing, they participate in the rituals, and they start heading back. And all of a sudden, a day into their journey, they realize Jesus is missing. And you can just imagine, we can just speculate because the text doesn't tell us what would it what it would have been like right joseph is probably saying yeah jesus is with mary mary's probably saying yeah jesus is with joseph and all of a sudden the night comes and they're putting up their tent and mary maybe looks at joseph and says hey where's where's jesus and i can just imagine that feeling from joseph right i mean i go through it every sunday when tiff asks me hey where's lila after service and i just trust the village you know the village delivers we always know where she is we we hear her at the end of the day but you could just imagine what it would have been like for joseph in that moment to to realize like we had one job to take care of jesus and we lost him We lost him in Jerusalem. There's thousands of people back in Jerusalem. And now we got to go looking for him. And so they head back. And imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph on the way back. 
I mean, it's probably marriage counseling part three, right? But they go back to Jerusalem and start looking for Jesus. And they start, they spend the whole day looking for him. Maybe they looked at the playground. I don't know where Jesus was hanging out. But they finally go to the temple. And there he was. There was Jesus. Look with me at verse 46. It says, after three days, they found him at the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. See, Jesus is at the temple and he's intrigued by the conversation among the teachers and he's just hanging out there. He's sitting there, listening to them, taking it all in. And what's interesting is as we read this passage is that Jesus is actually asking questions. Think about this. The God of the universe coming to the temple, incarnate in the person of Jesus, is sitting at the temple and he's asking questions. And when his parents find him, they go, hey, why why have you treated us this way? Why Why would you run off to the temple? You're supposed to be with us. And look how Jesus responds. He says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? In other words, Jesus is saying, didn't you expect me to be here? See, Jesus' love for the, for the Father led him to a humble curiosity, to a curiosity about his Father's business. And in this way, Jesus is, is modeling for us what it means to live a life that is aligned with the purposes of the Father. And often we think that our love for God should lead us to having the right answers. Or perhaps making sure we got all our theology straight. Or making sure we say and believe the right things. But that's not the model we see in our Savior. What we see here is Jesus modeling the way, teaching us that our love for God should lead us to a humble curiosity. A curiosity that doesn't focus on what I know or what I can teach or what I can answer, but instead holds a posture of humility that focuses on what I have yet to learn and what I can understand from God's word and what I can learn from others around me. And if Jesus can ask questions, so can we. what we see in the following verses is that in the midst of all of this chaos, as his parents are looking for him, and he probably knows by now he's left behind, Jesus is at peace because he's about his father's business. See, Jesus knows he's exactly where he's supposed to be. Because the Father's will is for him to be preoccupied with heavenly things. And part of God's plan is for him to grow up as a Jewish boy being taught the scriptures in the temple and participating in the celebration of the people of God. And I don't know if you've ever been somewhere you're not supposed to. I've definitely crashed a bunch of parties. But there's something unsettling. There's an unsettling feeling when you're somewhere you're not supposed to be. Or maybe you weren't invited. Or you just don't fit in. And see, this isn't the case with Jesus. He doesn't feel that. 
Any other 12-year-old boy that's lost would have felt that, saying, where's my parents? But Jesus doesn't feel that because he's in the temple, but he's actually the true temple. And we see that Jesus' identity is secure. Jesus knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is. And by responding that he's attending to his father's business, Jesus isn't only establishing his purpose on earth, but he's also showing his deep understanding of what his role is and his identity as the son of God. See, Jesus isn't trying to act smart with his parents. Jesus isn't trying to prove a point by reminding Mary and Joseph that he's fully aligned with the fact of God and uh, his business, right? What we're seeing is a tension between Jesus being fully human and fully God, having to attend to the things of a 12-year-old Jewish boy while at the same time attending to the obligations of his father's business as a son of God, which only he could do. Because of this, Jesus makes it clear that he's here for a purpose and he's going to attend to that. And I almost wonder if he's preparing Mary and Joseph perhaps for what's coming. Letting them know that he will align with his father's will. Now, Jesus doesn't use this moment necessarily to rebel against his parent and kind of come out as this rebel that now Jesus that knows everything, right? But instead, he submits to his earthly authorities. And he models for us what it's like to have biblical submission and what that should look like for us as believers. And submission is hard, church. Because see, our culture doesn't necessarily value submission all that much. They don't value it as a virtue, but instead we encourage kind of this, this spirit of skepticism. And some of it's valid because of the abuse of power that's been present in many organizations and that we've experienced in our lives and in the lives of others. But see, when it comes to submission, Jesus doesn't necessarily take it as an opportunity to rebel against his parents. But he's laying out for us that submission, as hard as it is, is actually a gift from God. That as we submit to others, we actually submit to God, our Father. See, Jesus understands that his submission to earthly figures as sinful and valuable as they were was ultimately a way for him to submit to his heavenly father. And friends, when we don't exercise submission to our earthly authorities, what we're saying is, I know better. And we can quickly be deceived into thinking that I know better what's, for, what's best for my life. That I know what's best for my life. And that road, church, is a difficult road to walk down. It's a dangerous road to walk down 
when you become the final word. Because ultimately, submission isn't meant to hold you down, but actually to help you flourish. And Jesus modeled this by submitting himself to the will of the Father, even knowing it'll lead to death. And yet following in perfect obedience, Jesus' identity is so secure because he knows who he is and what he's here to do. His purpose is crystal clear. Church, oftentimes we, we can just become distracted, right? In this search for purpose or who I am. And we can ask this question in our heads, who am I? And seek to kind of answer that every day as we try a different thing or as we go about our business. And our culture has frankly pressured us to think that we have to be able to define ourselves in an Instagram bio or in a TikTok reel. And we can easily be tempted to go down this search for identity and purpose, whether that's through our sexuality or through our careers or how much money we have or how, what position of power we can get to. And in this, we can forget that as Christians, our identity and purpose is found in that, in, in that we are children of God. That our identity and purpose isn't found in what we do, but rather who we know. That your identity and purpose on this world has already been settled. And unless we audit our own hearts and desires, we can quickly lose sight of that. See, as Christians, our identity is found in the fact that we are sons and daughters of the king. That's what Jesus is talking about later on, right? In Luke 12, when the disciples come to him rejoicing that the evil spirits are obeying them. And he tells them, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice on the fact that your names are written in heaven. See, church, as believers, we are freed from this empty chase that we are sold, that we have to have this sort of identity or purpose on this earth. But you need to realize that as Christians, we have a purpose and an identity that surpasses anything this world can offer. That our identity and purpose is set in heaven, not the things of this earth. So if you're tempted to define yourself in any other way, I just want to remind you of your identity today. It's that you're son and daughter of the king. There's nothing else. You might have a career. You might be a teacher. You might be a president. You might be whatever you want to be. But at the end of the day, what matters is that you are a son and daughter of the king. It is only when we align ourselves to our Father's business that we can start worrying about what we accomplish in this life or who you need to be. Now we can find peace in Jesus. See, a lot of our anxious thoughts or anxiousness that we carry day to day is due to this unrealistic expectation that we have about who we need to be or what we need to accomplish. And we put that on ourselves and have this unrealistic expectation of what life on this side of heaven should look like. And Jesus is inviting you to say, hey, child, come. Rest on me. 
You're safe here. You got nothing to prove. And what would it look like if we actually believed that? That I am safe in my Father's arms. That there's nothing I need to prove to anyone or accomplish. See, in order to experience peace, church, we need to rest on the one who is our peace. And Jesus comes not only to help us find purpose and meaning, but he ultimately comes to bring us peace. And at first glance, as you read this passage and see this obedient Jesus who submits to Mary and Joseph and the will of his heavenly father, you can just dismiss it thinking, of course he's obedient. He's Jesus. Of course he does the right thing. But see, Jesus' obedience isn't just a nice thing to have or another way in which he demonstrates that he is indeed the Son of God. But there's a direct correlation between Jesus' obedience and our eternal hope. See, the missing child was obedient so we who were disobedient could be found. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the story of Christmas. That being God, he humbled himself and came to us in the form of a baby to live the perfect life, to walk in obedience to the Father, and ultimately die on the cross for the sins of the world, making it possible for you and me to be called sons and daughters of the King. That's what Christmas is all about, church. It's not Rudolph the Reynolds Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman as much as you might like that. But it is the fact that Jesus has come to us. He has come to you and me and that's what we celebrate. When we celebrate Advent, that is what we celebrate. That Jesus has come to us and he has promised that he will come again. This morning we sung one of my favorite verses in all of Christian, in all of Christmas uh, music. And you know how much, how limited that is for me. But this verse specifically that we sung this morning puts it beautifully and expresses what Christmas is ultimately about. And I want to read it for you guys as you sung it. This morning it says, Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Life, light, and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald, angels sings. Glory to the newborn king. Church, that's what Christmas is all about. That the prince of peace has come to us just as Isaiah prophesied in the Old Testament. For a child will be born to us and the name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Church, we have peace with God and one another because of Jesus' obedience and sacrifice on the cross. That's why we say every Sunday, peace be with you. 
That's why we greet each other with the peace of Christ because Christ has bring, brought us peace. See, church, the arrival of Jesus means no longer, we no longer have to go to the temple to be able to experience Jesus. It means that we can experience Jesus and his presence in our daily lives right this second. We don't have to make a journey up to the temple anymore. See, the temple was a simple representation of the incarnation that was to come. And now as believers, we get to enjoy the nearness of Jesus in our lives, knowing that there will be one day that will come where peace, joy, love, hope, these themes that we talk about will be complete. That he's building a beautiful mosaic of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will not only be at peace with God, but will be at peace with one another and will ultimately be in peace with the one who is peace forever. And here's the deal, church. We, we all desire peace. If you ask anyone if they want peace, they would say, absolutely. And as we read the news or watch the news and witness what goes around us, we can all agree that peace is a good thing. We all hope for resolution and justice and ultimate peace. But in a chaotic and broken world, this peace has proven to be impossible. But here's the good news, church. Jesus brings us peace through his obedience and sacrifice so we can experience peace even in the middle of this chaotic world. And he promises that we'll experience ultimate peace in the life to come. And there will be no more wars. And there will be no more death. There will be no more illness. No more natural disasters or broken relationships. But rather, we will experience ultimate peace in Jesus. See, church, Jesus is our only hope for peace, not only in this life, but in the life to come. So if you want to experience this peace, we have to trust in Jesus alone, align ourselves to our Father's business, and recognize that there's nothing we can ultimately do to experience peace other than trusting in our loving Savior. That while we live here on earth, yes, it will be broken. Yes, it will be chaotic. Yes, there won't be peace. Yes, we will witness wars. We will witness brokenness. But there will come a day when that will be no more. There will come a day when we will experience ultimate peace. And church, we can experience this peace because of Jesus' perfect obedience. We can experience peace because of Jesus' perfect obedience.